You guys good tonight? It's good to see you. My name is Aaron, for those I've not yet met. And uh, as Pastor Shane says, today is uh, week four of an eight-week series, Welcome to Sound City, just exploring the, the mission and the values and the doctrine that really shape and undergird who we are as a church. And so uh, week one, we looked at our mission statement. Uh, week two, we looked at what it means uh, to have relationship with God and those things being valuable to us. Uh, last week, Pastor Travis did a fantastic job of showing how important relationship is to God and his people. And today, we turn our attention to an unbelieving world, those who do not know Jesus, those who do not have faith in him, how is it that we as Christians are to relate to a non-believing world? And I'll just tell you uh, the three values that we have right up front, uh, so that way you can be thinking ahead. The first one is this, that every member is a missionary. The second value that we're going to address tonight is that we preach the gospel of the kingdom. And the third value we'll look at tonight is that we are a church who is both gathered and scattered. And as Pastor Shane said, we're going to begin our time in John 17. If you want to turn there in your Bible and read along with me, uh, that'd be great. If you don't have a Bible, we have some out in the lobby. We would love to give one uh, and have that be our gift to you. John 17, starting in verse 13 through 21, I'll read straight through the passage. I'll pray, and then we'll spend some time unpacking what it is that God has for us tonight. Verse 13, but now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray together, church. God, we come before you tonight uh, just overwhelmed at the idea that you would have grace on us God, there is not one person in this room who has not sinned and fallen short of your glory. God, each and every one of us have rebelled against you in different ways and, and those of us who are saved, those of us who are Christians are so only by a sheer act of your grace and we are overwhelmed at that thought. So God, we wanna come before you humbly tonight. We want to come before you with humble hearts, knowing that all that we have, we have received as a gift. God, we also want to come before you tonight joyful, knowing that you have loved us and you have given us your grace, given us your spirit. And God, we also want to come before you tonight brokenhearted for those who do not yet know you. God, my hope and my prayer is that um, you would use us to minister the gospel to a world that doesn't know you. God, you would use us to share your good news with those who have not yet heard it. Open our hearts to hear wonderful things in your word tonight. God, give us soft hearts to receive your truth. And may we see Jesus high and lifted up, glorified. And it's in his name we pray. And everyone said, amen. When I use the word evangelist, what comes to mind for you? I say evangelist, I hope an image maybe comes to mind. Maybe for some of you, you, you think of Billy Graham or a Greg Laurie, somebody who stands in a stadium filled with 20,000 people and they're preaching the message of the gospel. Maybe some of you take a different uh, approach and when I say the word evangelist, you think of that guy standing on the street corner with a, a sign on a board and maybe a, a bullhorn yelling things that people aren't really understanding or paying attention to. Or maybe, heaven forbid, some of you think of a guy on the TV in a white suit asking for you to send money so that God will bless you, right? What, what image comes to mind when I say evangelist? Or let me use another word. What image comes to mind for you when I use the word missionary? What is a missionary? What, what image comes to mind? I'm, I'm guessing that many of you have the image of someone who moves to a, a third world country somewhere without running water or electricity and they live in a hut and they're trying to minister the gospel to people who uh, maybe don't even know how to read and write. 
Or maybe, again, some of you have interesting brains. When I use the word missionary, you think of uh, nice young men in white shirts from Utah uh, riding their bikes up and interrupting your Saturday brunch, right? What is it that you think of when I use the word missionary? Let me tell you uh, about the most committed evangelist, the most committed missionary that I ever saw in my entire life. When I was in high school... I grew up in Alaska, and it was, it was wintertime, and it was very cold. It was a particular cold snap. I think it was around zero degrees. And I went to Costco, and outside of Costco, I saw the most committed, the most uh, 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 absolutely persistent missionary I've ever seen in my life. It was cold. His, his lips were, were blue. His teeth were chattering. His nose was bright red. He had snot running down. His, his fingers were numb. He wasn't wearing any gloves because everybody that came into Costco, he was asking them to sign a petition to legalize recreational marijuana. And I remember thinking to myself, Man, this is a committed dude. He is absolutely passionate about evangelizing a weed. And it just stuck with me. That image just stuck with me because he was an evangelist. He was a missionary. Listen, the word evangelist or the word missionary, just to start out with, let's do, let's do a little bit of definition. The word evangelist simply means one who carries good news. It comes from the Greek word euangelion, which means good news. And, and in the ancient world, it was not primarily a religious term. We think of the word evangelism in religious terms today, but in the ancient world, it was not a religious term. It was actually a social term, and it had to do with primarily a report from the battlefield. The way it would work in those days is a, a king would leave a town or a city with his army. They would go off to war, but because they didn't have social media or digital communication, they didn't even have newspaper circulation necessarily, the king would go off to war and the people would be left wondering for weeks or months even, what has happened? Until all of a sudden one day they would see a guy on a horse riding back at breakneck speed and he was the evangelist or so they hoped because if he came to the city and he brought good news, good report, he was bringing uh, the evangel, the, the good news that the king has won. The, our soldiers have won. The good guys have won. I come bearing good news. I'm the evangelist. Or if you think of the word missionary, the word mission comes from the Latin word missio, which just means to send. Think of uh, the word emissary, somebody who is a, a representative, somebody who goes on behalf of someone else. And it simply just means one who is sent. So those words, an evangelist or a missionary, we think of them primarily in religious categories, but those words have a much broader meaning. And I would submit to you that the earliest Christians adopted those words because A, we have the best news to report, the best news that has ever happened, amen, and God himself has sent us into the world to proclaim that news, God has sent us into the world to proclaim the good news of his gospel. Let me just give you a brief reminder for those of you who maybe have forgotten what the gospel is. By the way, I don't care if you've been a Christian for five minutes or five decades, we always all need to hear the gospel. Amen, anybody? You don't graduate past the gospel. The gospel is not an elementary foundational doctrine that someday you mature past and you think about other things. No, the gospel is the good news of God's grace toward us and it is the hub in the center of the wheel that all of the other doctrines connect to. You always need to hear the gospel. The gospel is this, that there's a God who created everything that we see to display his glory. And he chose to create mankind special in his image and likeness to, to display his glory in a unique way through us, to, to put his affection and his love on mankind in a special and unique way. But... Mankind rebelled. Mankind sinned. We said, you know what? We want to live autonomous, self-directed, self-determined lives. We want to be our own kings, and we want to be our own gods. And mankind was plunged into destruction because ever since then, every human being who has ever been born, one out of one, has been born with a sinful nature that chooses self over God. Not only that, God pronounced a curse. God pronounced a word of judgment saying that there is a, a curse now because of mankind's rebellion. But God did not only pronounce a word of judgment. He also pronounced a word of promise that one day God would send a deliverer, 
one who would not choose the path of sin, one who would do the Father's will perfectly, one who would live a perfect God-pleasing and God-honoring life, one who would take a death, take a punishment that you and I rightly deserve because of our sin, and one who on the third day would actually rise from the dead, proving that they have the power over Satan, sin, and death. His name is Jesus, church. That is good news for us. His name is Jesus, that he comes, he forgives our sin. He restores right relationship with God. He restores right relationship with our fellow men. That's the gospel, that's the good news, that we can be forgiven of our sins. We can be restored into right relationship with God. We can experience his love, his grace, and his mercy. And it is that good news that we carry, church, we have been entrusted the mission of sharing the good news with anyone and everyone who will ever listen. I will say this. At this point, there's a common objection from non-Christians to Christians at this point. There's a common objection. The objection goes a little something like this. I love you know, certain things that Jesus taught. I think there's a lot to admire in Christian faith. I admire people who are religious and who are faithful and devout, but why you always gotta be trying to convert people? Can't you just believe what you believe and let your religious beliefs be your thing? And why do you always gotta be trying to tell other people that they're wrong or that they need to change? That's a common objection. How many of you have heard that from non-Christian friends and family members? Why you gotta be converting people? Just live and let live. Listen, I think that, that um, complaint fails to note a couple of fundamental things about human nature. First is this. As humans, we are by design prone to share good things that we find. Would you agree? If you find a good restaurant that you like, you're gonna tell people about it. If you find a new band that you love to listen to, you're gonna tell people about it. If you find a financial savings plan that really works for your family, you're gonna tell people about it. If you find a baseball team whose bullpen would not give away the game in the seventh and eighth inning and actually win a game once, right? You're gonna tell people about it, right? That is human nature. We take good things that we have and we actually like to share it with other people. But I would also say, let me use maybe a more negative illustration. If you had had a disease and you had escaped just barely by the skin of your teeth and you had found the one place where the cure was, was located and you had a friend who then started showing all the same symptoms, how much would you have to hate them? How indifferent toward them would you have to be to not warn them? Hey, I see the symptoms you're facing. I see what's, what's going on in your body. I've, I've been there myself and I found the cure. I know the doctor who actually has the solution. Let me introduce you to him. How indifferent would you have to be to not share that? There's, a, there's a, 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 an, an atheist entertainer. His name's Penn Jillette. He's a magician slash comedian. And I use both of those terms loosely. But he's an atheist. He's a publicly avowed atheist. And he, even he gets it. I'll read you this quote that he said a few years back. Listen to this. I don't respect people who don't proselytize, meaning try to convert others. If you believe that there is a heaven or hell or that people could be going to hell or not get eternal life and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward and atheists think people shouldn't proselytize, just keep religion to yourself, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? Wow, I might remind you, that is an atheist saying that. He says, I don't believe that the Bible is God's word. I don't believe that Jesus is God's son. I don't believe that there is an eternal heaven or hell, but I understand that if you do believe those things, you have to be able to tell people. You have to want to tell people. So evangelism is important. It's important because God has given us this responsibility. We've been entrusted with the very message of God's grace, mercy, forgiveness, and reconciliation. So I want to look at these three values outlined earlier. Let's go back into our text in John 17, picking up in verse 13. By the way, this is a prayer that Jesus is praying. It's a long prayer. You know that Jesus was a pastor because he prayed a prayer that was several chapters long. He's a good leader. This is one unit of thought starting in verse 13. And usually what I'll do is I'll kind of just go point by point. I'm actually gonna read straight through this passage again and go back and highlight a couple of phrases and ideas for you that form as these foundational values for us as a church. Verse 13, Jesus is praying to his father, but now I'm coming to you. 
He's speaking about his, his ascension, his future ascension. I'm coming to you, Father. And these things I speak in the world that they, my disciples, may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word. I've taught them the truth. I've, I've told them what it is you want me to tell them, God. And the world has hated them because they're not of this world, just as I am not of this world. I do not ask that you take them out of this world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. God, wash them with the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. And I do not ask for these only, just these 12 disciples in front of him, but I also ask for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The first value is this. It's value number seven out of our overall list of nine that we're going through, and it's this. Every member is a missionary. If I went back to my original illustration and I said, what comes to mind when I say the word evangelist or what comes to mind when I use the word missionary, my hope and prayer is that you would think of the face that you see in the mirror each and every morning. Guess what, church? You are evangelists. If you're a Christian, you're a missionary. Congratulations. Did you even know that? This is good news. It's not the job of one or two specific people. It's not the job of just a Billy Graham. It's not the job of just someone who moves to a far off foreign country. No, God has given the responsibility to evangelize to all of those who call on the name of Jesus. Now, to be fair, there are some people who have a special or particular gift of evangelism. Have you ever known those people where it's like non-Christians just flock to them and they say like two words and then they just become Christians? It's very frustrating for average folk like me. I'm like talking and pulling out all my apologetics books. They're like, yeah, I just don't know if I believe it. And then they go talk to that person like, I need Jesus. I'm like, that's what I said six months ago, right? There are some people who have a unique or special gifting of evangelism, but as Christians, each and every one of us has been sent, plain and simple. Look in verse 18, look what he says. As you, the Father, sent me, Jesus, into the world, so also I have sent them into the world. It's not very complicated. God the Father sent the Son into the world, and now the Son is sending us into the world. And just in case you want to try to pull like one of those Bible tricks where like, well, in context, Jesus is only praying over the 12 immediate disciples in front of him. And look what he says in verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Who's that? It's us. We believed in the word that was proclaimed by the eyewitnesses, by the apostles. That's the message we've believed. And so Jesus is praying for us also. Every member is a missionary. That means if you are a member of Sound City Bible Church, your pastors, we will treat you as though you were a missionary. That's our heart and our intention to you. I don't mean that we're going to uh, try to starve you or see you attacked by people. We're just saying we're going to see you live the life of a missionary, sharing the good news, sharing what it is that Jesus has done and what Jesus has done for you. And I want to make this simple for you. Let me give you just two fundamental, foundational, important keys that will help you for this. The life of a missionary. The first one is this, sharing the gospel. Do you know how to share the gospel? And, and let me give you a hint. The word gospel means good news. The gospel is not about you. The gospel is about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. If I ask you to share the gospel and you start with yourself, you're already off on the wrong tracks. Amen? The gospel is about Jesus. Again, the, the, the parts that I outlined earlier, that there's a problem, there's sin, and we need a rescuer, and that Jesus lived a perfect life, and he died a death in our place that we deserved, and then he rose again. Please don't ever forget the resurrection. That he ascended to heaven, and one day he's going to return to judge the living and the dead. That's the gospel message. It's about Jesus. It's not about you. It's about him. Now, a related idea, it's not synonymous, but it's related, is sharing your testimony. Do you know how to share your testimony? 
These two things are related, but they are not synonymous. Sharing the gospel is about who Jesus is and what he has done. Sharing your testimony is how has this gospel message changed your life? How has this affected you and and shaped you for the better? What did your life used to be like before you met Jesus? And what is your life like now? And by the way, let me just, this is a side point, but I think it's important to make this point. Some of you maybe, like me, grew up in church and you heard testimonies of people meeting Jesus. And some of those testimonies are, um, how should I say, rather wild, okay? Anybody ever heard one of those just wild testimonies? Like, I was a, you know, a, a gypsy and we stole dolphins from zoos and I was slinging 13 types of drugs that had never been invented yet. And then one day I met Jesus and now I'm a nun. Or, you know what I mean? Like, they're always so over the top. And sometimes you think, well, I, I didn't do any of those things. I kind of lived a, a basically boring, sinful, prideful life. And, and maybe I don't really have a testimony. And I say this nonsense. Listen, be encouraged. You are also a horrible sinner, okay? You have a great testimony because even though your sins may not have been the type that would have thrown you, gotten you thrown in jail, they still are the type that would have you thrown in hell. Because it's self-directed, autonomous, prideful, I don't need you, God, I'm in charge. So maybe you weren't living in a gypsy van, but maybe you were living prideful, looking down on other people. So if you have a boring, quote-unquote, boring testimony, I want to encourage you, it's really not that boring. You are every bit as much of a sinner in need of God's saving grace as the junkie, the drug dealer, the prostitute, you name it. Is that okay to say? Don't be ashamed of your boring testimony. I guarantee you that the gospel has shaped your life in some way, shape, or form, even for those of you who came to faith at a young age. I want you to be able to share the gospel. I want you to be able to share your testimony. If you're intimidated by the idea of living life as a missionary, start with those two things. That's it. Share the gospel. Talk about Jesus. Share your testimony. Talk about the way Jesus has changed you. That leads us to the next value. Value number eight is preaching the kingdom. Preaching the kingdom. Listen, there are a lot of things that people will rally around. There are a lot of causes. There are a lot of good things that people will get excited about. Our world has all sorts of gospels. Would you agree? If you don't agree, I would encourage you, turn on the television for 20 minutes and watch the commercials because every single advertisement is some form or another of, here is how you can have a little slice of heaven on earth. If you will just drink our beer, all the pretty girls will like you, right? If you will just buy our car, you can drive as wild as you want and the cops will never give you a ticket. If you will just sign up for our program, you'll lose all of that weight that you don't want and you'll look like a Greek god, right? Whatever it is, uh, our, our culture is always preaching some sort of a gospel, some sort of a good news. And listen, our message is utterly different than what the world preaches. The world preaches that the strong eat the weak, the fast eat the, eat the slow, that the, the, the way to succeed is by getting more and by being bigger and better and faster. And yet our message is that the greatest one in the whole universe humbled himself and became low and took the form of a slave and was crucified. That's inside out. That's different than what our culture says. We don't hang up posters of utterly defeated Leaders. Nobody goes out and buys a t-shirt with the, oh yeah, we got knocked out in the first round of the playoffs, right? That's not the way our culture works. Our culture celebrates the strong, the winners. Jesus died. Our message is upside down. Look at what Jesus says in verse 14. He says this, I've given them your word. I've taught them the truth about you. And the world has, what's the word? Hated. What a strong word. Did you ever think that following Jesus might put you crossways with what the culture at large says, what the culture at large thinks. Dear Christian, know this, that if you follow Jesus and you stick close to him long enough, there will be times where you will be hated by the world because Jesus is also not of the world. If Jesus is not of the world, his message is not of the world, his people are not of the world, it says in the next chapter, actually in chapter 18, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. I don't want you to escape or be retreatist. Wow, this world is full of all sorts of bad, sinful people. We need to go find a cave or a bunker or just get away from everybody. No, that's not what Jesus wants. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. 
They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So let me, let me explain this to you, okay? When we talk about preaching the kingdom, let me give you four examples of what I, I think this looks like. We don't wanna be about just our own ideas, our own causes. We wanna be about the kingdom of God, amen? So let me give you four things I think this looks like. Number one is this. We preach a kingdom, not a cause, there are a lot of good causes. If I wanted to get you really excited really easily, I would just rally you around a cause. And I would say to you that the world has a million causes that people are always rallying around, right? How many times do we need celebrities to have some sort of telethon to raise money for something, right? I always think that they could probably just pool a couple of their paychecks together and fix whatever problem they were trying to address in the first place. Why are you asking for all of my money? I already gave it to you at the movie theater, right? The world loves to rally around causes and, and many of them are good things. I'm not even talking about bad things. I'm talking about great causes. Causes like alleviating poverty. Causes like drilling wells in the desert. Causes like helping women escape from the sex trade. Those are all good causes, but listen to me. All of those things, if they do not serve the purpose of furthering the kingdom of God, are ultimately a waste of time. You can drill all of the wells that you want and you can quench people's thirsts for a moment, but if it doesn't lead them to drink from the fountain of eternal life, then it's been a waste of time. All of our causes, listen, I hope that we as a church can help alleviate poverty. I hope that we as a church in the future, God would give us the opportunity to drill some wells. I hope that God in the future would give us an opportunity to help some young women escape the sex trade. But all of those things must be for the furthering and the advancement of his kingdom. Jesus' kingdom is bigger than any cause that we could rally around, amen? So we don't pick our favorite pet project. We don't pick our favorite uh, ideology or our favorite thing, our cause, and say, this is what we're all about. No, we're about a kingdom, a kingdom that's coming to earth, a kingdom that's here but is not yet all the way fully realized. Second thing that this looks like is that we're after converts, not just swapping around church members, okay? A lot of Talk in churches is about church growth. How do you grow your church? How do you grow your church? And I will be honest with you, a lot of those church growth strategies as you read about them basically boil down to how do you take people away from other churches and get them to join your church? I'll tell you what, we discovered a great one this morning. Uh, about eight o'clock this morning, one of our production volunteers got here early and baked a pan of cinnamon rolls in the oven in our kitchen right there in the lobby. And the whole building smelled like cinnamon rolls for about an hour. Let me tell you what, that is the best church growth idea I've ever heard in my life. I would go back to that church that I walked in and smelled like cinnamon rolls, right? But here's the idea. Our church is not in competition with other churches. I want to say that again, and I want a bigger amen. Ready? Our church is not in competition with other churches. Thank you. The way the world works is you have your customer base. Let's say you're Coca-Cola, and the way you grow your, your brand or your business is you go over and you steal Pepsi drinkers. And so Pepsi drinkers switch and become Coke drinkers because Coke is obviously superior to Pepsi, right? That's the way that the world works is you steal clientele from one another. Listen, for us as a church, we are not in competition with other Christians. If they preach the Bible, if they proclaim Christ crucified, they are our brothers and our sisters, and they are our allies on the mission that God has given to us. Amen? We want to put the bullseye of the target on those who do not yet know Jesus. Look, if God brings somebody from another church who wants to join with our church, praise God, that's fine. That's not something to kick people out for. But what I'm saying is that's not our goal. We're not gonna try to arrange things to say, how can we get more Christians to join our church from other churches? No, we wanna say, how can we tell as many people as possible who don't yet know Jesus about his love and his grace and his mercy and his great salvation? Would you agree with that? We want converts, not just stealing sheep from other sheepfolds. I like this quote that Charles Spurgeon has about this idea. He says this, the increase of the kingdom is more to be desired than the growth of a clan. I think that's a really good thing for us to remember. Number three, what it means to preach the gospel of the kingdom, it means this. It means that we live out of conviction, biblical conviction, not cultural preference. There are some Christians who would say things along the lines of, maybe they wouldn't put it this bluntly, but they would say, if we could just tame down the message a little bit, make the gospel a little bit less about all that sin and repentance and judgment stuff, 
Maybe then people would want to come to church and they'd want to experience God's love and then they would, then they would want to uh, become Christians themselves. It is a dangerous and frightful thing when Christians begin giving into pressure from the culture over and above the truth of God's word. Would you agree? Cultures come and go. Nations come and go. Things that seem so obvious to us now in 21st century Western uh, America, they weren't even a thing 50 years ago. And you know what? In 50 years, they're gonna be gone as well. But the word of God, this stands forever. This is the eternal truth. This is the word of God. And listen, our message is, is never going to be popular. Why? Because our message is based on repentance. You know what repentance means? It means that somebody's wrong. How many of you like to be told that you're wrong? Even those of you who have already repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus, you don't want to be told that you're wrong. Our culture doesn't want to be told that they're wrong, but our message is we are wrong. We need to bow our knee to the one who is truly God, to the one who is truly king, and declare that we ourselves are not. That's never going to be a popular notion in our culture. That goes counter-cultural. We preach the kingdom of God. We live out of biblical conviction, not out of cultural preference. And then number four, it's this. We preach a cross. We don't preach something that's cool, right? A similar idea in some churches, if we could just add a few more flashing lights, if we could just make things a little bit more hip, if we could, you know, just be cooler, then everybody would just want to come be a part of our cool, hip, cool thing. You know what? No. We preach Christ crucified, a bloody cross, a savior who was beaten and brutalized and laid down his life for us. No, that's, that's just never gonna be cool. That's not a cool message. Listen, don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying that we should make church inaccessible. I'm not saying that we should burn bridges or try to push people away or, or just have the churchiest church experience you ever heard of. No, I want us to build bridges. I want us to be relatable to the culture. But at the end of the day, cool comes and goes. The cross of Jesus Christ stands forever. Amen? I want us to be accessible. I want us to be a church. Can I even just put my cards on the table? I want us to grow as a church. I want us to grow in health. I want us to grow in size because I believe that healthy things should grow. And I want us to be a place where you are comfortable inviting your friends and family saying, hey, I found a church. It's like totally not weird. Why don't you come check it out with me, right? I think that would be a great thing if people could say, yeah, I found a not weird church. Let's go, let's go there. But at the end of the day, I'm far more concerned that we remain true to the word of God and we preach the kingdom, not our own preferences. We don't try to make it cool. Amen? That's, that's a bit of what I think it means to be not of this world and to, to preach the kingdom. And that leads us to the third value, the last one we talk about today. Value number nine overall is this. We are gonna be a church who is gathered and scattered. Look at what Jesus says here in verse 21. When he's praying to his father, he says this. I pray that they, my followers, these disciples, may all be one. I want them to be unified. I want them to be together. I want them to have relationship. Pastor Travis last week did a masterful job of showing us how important relationship is to the God of the Bible and how important relationship is for us who are God's people. God's desire is for us to be one. And the reason why is this. God is himself unified. Just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they also may be uh, in us. So Jesus is saying, me and the Father, we're one. We're unified. We're gathered together. There's a, a unifying. There's a gathering that comes together. But God himself is sent that they may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. God gathers people. I think, I think the fact that God forgives us is amazing enough. The doctrine of adoption is even more amazing to me. It's not just that God would forgive us, but that he would adopt us into his family. But hear me on this. God never gathers us together so that we can sit in some sort of a private clique, some sort of a holy huddle and just experience the joy of being together forever. No, God gathers his people together and then scatters them and then gathers and scatters. He brings us together and he sends us out on mission. And it's rooted and grounded in who God is himself. This is a pattern throughout church history. God would gather Christians together in large groups and then oftentimes persecution would come and they would scatter and go share the message of Jesus in cities they would have never otherwise gone to if they hadn't have been 
persecuted. Gathering and scattering is part of the normal life rhythm of the people of God. Look at just a couple of examples from Acts. I wanna show you that evangelism happens when the church gathers and scatters. So first, when the church gathers, Acts chapter two. This is a description of the early church right after the time of Jesus' resurrection and his ascension. It says this, day by day, attending the temple together. That's a larger group setting, like what we're doing right here and right now, a a larger group, they would attend the temple and breaking bread in their homes. That's a smaller group setting, like maybe a a home group or a community group, having a, a meal together. If you're not part of a community group, I would encourage you to do so. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So the church gathered together to worship God and people got saved. That's amazing. When when the church gathers together, people have their lives transformed. People have their lives turned inside out. The big idea here is invitation. This is an invitation or a message of come and see. How many of you, even in today's more and more hostile environment to Christianity, have friends who would probably come with you to a church service sometime if you invited them? Raise your hand. How many of you would have somebody, yeah, I'll go to church with you, especially Christmas or Easter, maybe if they're feeling a little bit guilty, right? I'll go to church with you. People come and gather in a large group like this. We have people who in the last few weeks, sitting in a church service like this, have become Christians in recent weeks. Praise God for that, right? People come to a church gathering. People are brave enough, non-Christian being brave enough to come to where a group of Christians are all gathered together and say, I'm gonna sit and listen to this guy talk about Jesus and the Bible for 45 minutes. And they get saved. Praise God for that. And they say, it says that they were meeting in their homes. They were meeting in smaller groups and the Lord added to the number then. Uh, I don't know of anyone uh, personally right now even just looking across the room, but maybe a quick show of hands. How many of you know somebody or have seen somebody become a Christian in a community group setting or a small group setting or in people's homes. Raise your hand if you've seen that, right? It's a good number of us. Raise your hand if you want to see more of that. Amen? I hope and pray that God would allow us to see many people come to faith in Jesus. Some people would would feel intimidated by coming to a large group setting like this, but maybe they would go to your house and have a a bottle of wine with you or have dinner or quinoa or whatever you Seattle people are eating, right? Like they would go and spend some time with you and, and that would be maybe a less intimidating setting for them. I hope and pray that we get to see a lot of people meet Jesus in and through our community groups and in our living rooms and in our homes in the months and years to come. Would you join me in that prayer? So when the church gathers, when the church is together, people get saved. But also when the church scatters, evangelism happens. I won't take the time to read the whole stories, but a couple of examples are found in Acts chapter eight. One of the stories is when Peter and John Two of the disciples, they leave Jerusalem. They leave the rest of the disciples, just the two of them. And they go off into Samaria and they they meet a dude named Simon the Magician. He tries to buy the power of the Holy Spirit from them. And by the way, it does not go well for Simon. But because of this conflict and because these two disciples went off by themselves, they left the church gatherings. They left the small group gatherings. They went out. A bunch of people met Jesus. Or another great example is Philip, one of the early church deacons. It says that he left, he went off by himself, and he ran into a member of the Ethiopian court, an official, a a government official from Ethiopia, and he's struggling, trying to read Isaiah, and he's, I just don't understand. And Philip comes up and explains it to him, and the guy gets saved and gets baptized right there on the side of the road that moment because Philip left, because he was by himself, because he scattered and went not to where all the Christians were, but because he went to where the non-Christians were. Instead of it being more of an invitation, come and see, this is an incarnation, go and be sort of an approach. Do you know, do you know, Christian, that you are called the body of Christ? Do you know that you, if you are a believer, you are called his hands and his feet? Do you know that you have been entrusted with the responsibility of representing Jesus Christ to those who don't know him. If that doesn't make your stomach drop a little bit, I wonder if we're not paying attention. What a weighty responsibility, amen? Incarnation, Jesus took on flesh and came and dwelt among us. And incarnational ministry means that we embody Jesus. We go to those who don't yet know him. 
Some of you love to gather. Some of you love to scatter. Some of you devalue gathering. Let me just say this. Attending worship is important. Amen? Coming to church on a Sunday, gathering together for the preaching of the word, for singing, for the celebration of the Lord's Supper, these are important things. I'm not trying to be legalistic, but I would encourage you to prioritize being at church. I would encourage you to prioritize being in community group. It is important to gather in community. Let me just say this. My family faced some really um, difficult challenges this week, a variety of challenges. And I can tell you that if I did not have friendships and community with other Christians in this church, I honestly don't know what I would have done. The time to get community is not after a crisis hits, but before. Some of you need to prioritize gathering more. Some of you need to really understand what it means to make gathering a priority. Some of you need to learn what it means to scatter a little bit. You're always at a church service. You're always at a Bible study. You're always at a small group. You're at a Christian school. You work around other Christians. You listen to Christian radio, and you don't even know what it's like to be in relationship with non-Christians. Some of you need to learn what it means to go and embody Jesus to those who don't yet know him. I'll tell you this. I, I talk with uh, men oftentimes who say things like, man, I really wish I could get a different job or I wish I could work at a church or something because I'm just so tired of working around all these godless non-Christians and the stuff they talk about is so horrible and they're always dragging me down. And, and I, I'm very sympathetic to that. I, I understand that it can be a real drag to work around people who maybe don't share your convictions. But I will tell you this. When I hear people talking like that, I personally get jealous. Do you know why? I'm a pastor and I work at a church, which means I pretty much only work with Christians. All of the pastors, we're still working on Pastor Shane, but all the rest of them are Christians, right? Teasing. I only work around Christians. I actually get a little bit jealous sometimes. Like, man, what would it be like to work around people who don't know Jesus and have those opportunities for a gospel conversation to scatter? I'm empathetic towards that, but let me just say to you, what would it look like if you redirected your heart instead of resenting those who are frustrating to be around or frustrating to work with, what if you saw it as an opportunity to embody the love of Jesus to them? They're probably acting like that because they don't feel loved. They don't know that God wants to save them. God wants to redeem them. What if you looked at that as an opportunity that God gave you? We want to be a church that values gathering and we want to be a church that values scattering. Amen? This is important for us when it comes to evangelism. So the, the three values... Closing out this series on values, this, this idea of evangelism, that we understand that each and every Christian is a missionary. That's you. We preach not our preferences, not our causes. We preach the kingdom. And we do this by gathering and by scattering both. And I want to close with this. I want to close by simply asking those of us who are Christians, why should we evangelize? Or, or maybe put another way, what should our motivation be? I'm gonna give you two things. Number one, our motivation should be joy. We should evangelize from a place of joy. I get brokenhearted when I see Christians evangelizing from a place of duty or obligation. Those guys that come and knock on your door, especially the, the non-Christian, the non-Orthodox religions, they have to do that. There's no joy. They have to do it to earn their stripes, to earn their stars. I've seen Christians motivated from a heart of, oh, I'm right and they're all wrong and these idiots just need to believe the truth and quit being so dumb, right? That's not a gospel motivation. You know what a gospel motivation is? I cannot believe that God had grace on a person like me. I have tasted the bread of life. I have seen redemption and forgiveness in a way that I could not have even imagined was possible. I am so overwhelmed with God's grace. I'm so full of joy that I have got to share what it is that I have with others. That's a gospel motivation for evangelism, amen? Not fear, not trying to prove yourself how awesome you are to God, not I'm right and they're wrong, but joy. Look what Jesus says in verse 13 of John 17. He says this, I'm coming to you, he's talking to the Father, and these things I speak in the world that they, my disciples, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I think, I think there's at least a few of you here tonight who maybe you don't have very much joy in your relationship with God. And one of the reasons might be 
that you're not sharing the good news with anyone. You haven't taken the time to really remember how amazing God's grace is in your life and you haven't shared it with anyone. You know that there's joy for you in that. There's joy to be had. And the second motivation is this. It's compassion. Let me just ask you point blank. Do you know people who are lost and dying and apart from God's grace on their way to hell? Let me ask you an even harder question. Do you care? Do I care? When was the last time that your heart was absolutely broken at the thought of people you know and love spending an eternity apart from Jesus? I will confess to you that this week, God did a number on my own heart in this area in particular. Um, one of the challenges we faced this week as a family, and this is not the number one, but one of the challenges, and you might think it's a bit silly, but those of you who uh, have lost a pet will know it's not. Our, our dog ran away this week. Our sweet, beloved family dog that my girls love to torture. She ran away from home this week. On Tuesday, every single night, I had at least one, sometimes more, of my girls in my arms crying because they miss their little dog and they're scared for her and they don't know where she is and the dog is lost. I've cried over the stupid dog this week. I've shed tears. And God in his providence allowed that to happen the week that I'm preparing a teaching on caring for people who are lost. And I realized that I'd shed more tears this last week over our dog who is lost than I have for family members who are lost. And God wrecked my heart. Do we care? I don't mean that to put a burden on you or to, to speak it in some sort of judgmental way, but I ask you, check your heart. When was the last time that you have shed a tear over people that you know and love who are destined for hell? This is what Charles Spurgeon, great English preacher, said. The saving of souls, if a man has once gained love to perishing sinners in his blessed master, will be an all-absorbing passion to him. It will so carry him away that he will almost forget himself in the saving of others. He will be like the brave fireman who cares not for the scorch or the heat so that he may rescue the poor creature on whom true humanity has set its heart. If sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go there unwarned and unprayed for. This is a heavy moment. That's okay. Because we're talking of things of an eternal nature. I want us to have joy. I want us to rejoice in the God of our salvation. I want us to rejoice as we share the good news with others, but I also want us to experience this brokenheartedness. Holy Spirit, right now, would you even just bring to mind faces, people that we know and love? Is God bringing people to your hearts and your minds right now? I wanna call us to a time of response now. We're gonna respond in a, a couple of different ways. We're gonna respond as we usually do by the, the giving of our tithes and offerings. And if you're a guest or a visitor, I want you to not feel like you're under any obligation to give. You're welcome to if you'd like. We would encourage you to. Financial stewards could come forward now and collect the offering. We give so that the message of the gospel can go forward, even in our very church. I encourage you, those of you who are Christians, give generously. Not because our church is anything amazing, but because our God is amazing, because his gospel is amazing. We wanna be able to further the work of the ministry. While they're collecting the offering, let me go over a few discussion questions uh, for you in your community groups this week. First question is this, what's the difference between sharing the gospel and sharing your own testimony? 
Some of you may need to spend some time dialing in that, that distinction. And the follow-up question, that what is the gospel? Hint, it's the good news, right? It's not about you. It's only about Jesus. What important elements need to be included? And how would you explain the gospel to a coworker, or to a child, or to a family member? I think it would be great for those of you who are uh, community group leaders or a part of a community group, take time this week and actually practice. Just, what's the gospel? You're in an elevator. You got five floors. Go. Right? Share the gospel with somebody. Talk about Jesus. And also, what's your testimony? I want to issue a particular challenge to those of you who think you have a quote-unquote boring testimony. How could you share the difference that God has made in your life? Next question is this. What does it mean that Jesus' kingdom is not of this world? Discuss what what, what that means. Uh, Next question, number five. Where in your life do you need to emphasize the importance of gathering? Some of you are great at gathering. Some of you need to emphasize scattering. Which ones come naturally? Which ones do you need to grow in? And then lastly... What non-believing family and friends do you need to pray for this week? And who do you need to have a gospel conversation with? People come into your hearts and come into your minds right now. Who is God leading you to pray for? Who is God leading you to talk to? We're also gonna respond tonight with prayer. And myself, I'm gonna go stand right over there. Pastor Travis, who joined me. We're gonna stand over there and we'd love to pray with you. Maybe tonight, as, as we've been talking, God has brought to mind some non-saved uh, relatives that you want to pray for. Maybe some of you have realized you've had a heart of, of pride or a heart that's been cold or uncaring. I just want to repent for that. We'd love to pray with you while we sing and while Pastor Joe leads us in some, uh, some songs of rejoicing in the gospel. And then we're going to celebrate communion. This is the Lord's table. If you're a Christian, even if you're a guest, you're welcome to join us at the table. This is where we take the bread that reminds us of Christ's broken body. We dip it into the wine or the juice that reminds us of Jesus' shed blood for us. And tonight, my prayer is this. As you you eat the bread and you even take that into your body, I want you to remember that you are called to carry Christ to those who don't yet know him. I would encourage you, maybe don't even jump up and rush forward to the table right away. Maybe you need to sit and just pray and reflect for a few minutes. But I want us to respond with a heart of love and gratitude to Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for this time. Thank you that you have loved us with a perfect love. God, we are awed, we are humbled that you have saved us. God, may we rejoice in our salvation. May we be brokenhearted for those who are lost. May we seek to glorify our King Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.